It is an undisputed fact of history that during World War II, the Germans ran a network of prison and labor camps both in Germany and in the territories they controlled. Into these camps were sent Jews, prisoners of war, resistance fighters, gypsies, and other people considered enemies of the Third Reich. The largest of these camps was the one called Auschwitz, located in Poland. Those interned at Auschwitz came from all over Europe and consisted of men, women, and children. Those able to work were used as labor for the German war effort. Auschwitz was liberated by the Soviet army in January of 1945. But that is where the consensus ends. Since the end of World War II, we have been told repeatedly that many of these camps served a darker purpose. The genocide of six million Jews and the execution of five million non-Jews through the use of homicidal gas chambers in what is now commonly known as the Holocaust. The largest number of people are said to have been murdered at Auschwitz. But there are some people who maintain that these claims of mass murder have never been proven. These people point to the lack of documentation other than the highly questionable and already partially discredited evidence supplied by the Soviet Union at the Nuremberg trial and the unreliable nature of the eyewitness testimonies, many of which have also been discredited. For example, many former camp inmates, as well as American soldiers, still speak of gassings at the Dachau camp in Germany, even though it is no longer held that any gas chamber was ever in use at that camp. Still, the Holocaust is an event that has seemingly grown in importance since the end of the war, taught as fact, usually accepted without question. But how do we know if it really happened? What proofs are offered for those not willing to take history on faith alone? This video deals with, among other things, one of those proofs. One piece in a very large puzzle. The supposed gas chamber at the Auschwitz main camp. This tape is the first in a series of tapes covering my September 1992 trip to Europe to investigate firsthand the sites of the alleged final solution. It is by no means intended to be the last word on the Holocaust controversy, but just the opposite. I hope this tape can begin an open debate that's long overdue. What is fact and what is simple wartime propaganda regarding the event we have come to know as the Holocaust. This is the Auschwitz main camp, or Stammlager. There are three parts to what is known as Auschwitz. There is Auschwitz I, the main camp, a well-built compound which existed before World War II as a military barracks and was slightly modified by the Germans when they took it over. Then there's Auschwitz II, also known as Auschwitz-Birkenau, which was constructed during the war as an expansion of the main camp. And there's Auschwitz III, or Auschwitz-Monowitz, a large industrial area where many inmates were forced to work. It is Auschwitz I, the main camp, which is the center of Auschwitz tourism. It is here that tours are conducted hourly in English, Polish, German, and French. By their own figures, over half a million people visit here every year, 
and the place has become a curious shrine. This is a shrine which combines Catholic expressions of identity and mourning with Jewish ones, and this has traditionally caused some tension. Jewish groups have charged that the Poles downplay the role of Jewish suffering, and while few would openly suggest it, it could be said that, in the West, Jews have attempted to monopolize Auschwitz as a uniquely Jewish experience. Already we reach an important point in our examination of the Holocaust. It is an event interpreted differently in various corners of the world. The Soviets have always stressed the suffering of Russians, Poles, Ukrainians, and others. Post-World War II Soviet propaganda films often made little mention of Jews. To the Polish locals, Auschwitz is given a Catholic face with all the usual fetishes. The suffering of Polish priests and other martyrs is stressed, and the attempted extermination of the Polish people is the preferred theme. But in the Western world, we get a single-mindedly Jewish interpretation, with the non-Jewish deaths being used mainly to keep non-Jewish interest in the Holocaust alive by giving non-Jews some involvement in it. But we are told that even though non-Jews suffered as well, it is the Jews and the Jews only who were marked for extermination. This schism has often resulted in well-publicized disputes, such as the convent of Carmelite nuns who took up residence here in Auschwitz against the wishes of many Jewish groups, and the time a touring Polish Auschwitz exhibit was protested for not being Jewish enough. However, at the camp itself, there is more than enough victimization to go around. The layout of the Auschwitz main camp is fairly simple. A square of barbed wire fence surrounds rows and rows of inmates' barracks, a large mess hall, and a few surprises, which we will get to later. Outside the fenced-in area are the SS headquarters, these two buildings, and the SS hospital and restaurant. Across from that is the building known as Crematorium 1, the infamous gas chamber and crematorium. Most of the inmates' barracks have been converted into museums, which make up the bulk of the guided tour. The rest of the barracks are used as either archives or offices for museum staff. One barrack, Block 11, has been kept in its original state. It was the camp prison, and it is now referred to, naturally, as the Block of Death. Which brings up another interesting point. What is shown on the tour and what is not? During the tour, you are shown the block of death, the so-called wall of death, naturally right next door to the block of death, and exhibit after exhibit specifically designed to affirm atrocity stories and portray Auschwitz as a death machine, a place where internment meant extermination. But what don't they show you? To start with, a building which could conceivably be called the block of life a massive disinfestation complex where Zyklon B gas was used daily to combat lice and the disease they carried. These were the real gas chambers, except their victims were clothing and mattresses, and their purpose was to preserve the health of the inmates. Holocaust experts don't deny the purpose of this building. They just don't like mentioning it. After all, why complicate things? Also forgotten is the Auschwitz Camp Theater, the current home of the aforementioned convent of nuns. The last pictures taken inside this building showed pianos and costumes and a stage where the inmates used to put on productions. These days, however, the nuns don't allow pictures to be taken inside.
And finally, we have the Auschwitz swimming pool. Yes, that's right, swimming pool. Situated inside the prison compound, right alongside the inmates' barracks. A beautiful pool with a diving board and starters blocks for races. To their credit, the Auschwitz camp officials have not tried to remove this distraction. But if you want to see the pool, you need to know already that it exists, because you won't find it on the tour. So basically, what we have is a tour that consists mainly of tourists who already believe in the Holocaust story and are perhaps emotionally connected to it in some way, being given a selectively edited tour filled with horror story after horror story and ending up at the final stop, the gas chamber. At that point, the tour group is emotionally primed to believe anything, and the gas chamber is like the featured performer after a two-hour warm-up act to get the crowd in the mood. Literally, the gas chamber is the objective proof that everything they've heard on the tour is true, objective proof of the Holocaust. But is it? We'll see in a minute. I went to Auschwitz in September of 1992 to see for myself this place that I have studied for so long. I paid extra for a personal English-language tour guide, a young lady named Alicia who gives tours in Polish, German, and English. And I wore my yarmulke, just so nobody missed the point that I'm Jewish. I figured that way I could ask my questions in a manner that would not make me look like a revisionist. You see, in the past, revisionists haven't had much success in getting answers from the Auschwitz officials. But I would come off as a righteous Jew, wanting to know the real facts and answer those who say the Holocaust never happened. Alicia, like the other tour guides, had to take a class and memorize a spiel to become one. This is an important point because I'm hoping to show that the people who run Auschwitz, like Dr. Franciszek Pieper and the tour guide supervisor you'll meet shortly, teach their tour guides to say things they know aren't true. But this shouldn't reflect badly on Alicia. She only repeats what she's been told, and I'm sure she never had to put up with a tourist like me before. I came to Auschwitz as a confirmed skeptic about the gas chamber story. I notice some people critically examining the Holocaust is the ultimate sacrilege. But you'll have to realize that I have no sacred cows, and understanding what really happened is important to me, and I'd ask that you respect that. I know from years of my own research, and the research of others, that proofs of the Holocaust are few. Literally, all there is are the eyewitness testimonies and post-war confessions. There is no picture, plan, or wartime document dealing with homicidal gas chambers or a plan to exterminate the Jews. And we can't use the excuse that the Nazis destroyed all the evidence, because after we had broken the German code, we were able to intercept their secret transmissions, including those that came from Auschwitz. The key to understanding the Holocaust story is understanding the true nature of the things passed off as proofs. Everything that is used as evidence of the Holocaust also can be said to have a perfectly normal explanation. For example, these exhibits are said to be the material proofs of exterminations. There's the piles of human hair. But what does that prove? It's acknowledged that each inmate had his or her head shaved because of the lice problem. That's not denied. So why wouldn't there be piles of human hair? What about the piles of shoes and clothing? Is that a proof? It's a fact that the prisoners were issued a uniform upon arrival, including shoes. 
So why wouldn't there be piles of inmates' shoes and clothing? It doesn't prove anybody was killed. And that's giving the Soviets and Poles the benefit of the doubt that the clothes and hair are genuinely from the camp during its operation. What about the canisters of gas? No one denies that Cyclone B was used to disinfect clothes and also buildings. Cyclone B was one of the premier pest control agents in Europe at that time. It was present in most of the concentration camps, including those that are not said to have had homicidal gas chambers in them. The typhus epidemic that spread throughout Europe during the war and also spread through the camps called for stringent lice control procedures. In his book, Auschwitz, Technique and Operation of the Gas Chambers, published by the Klarsfeld Foundation and meant to refute revisionists, Jean-Claude Pressac admits that over 95% of the Zyklon B used by the Germans was used to disinfect. He assigns only 5% to homicidal purposes, and this from a Holocaust supporter. So what other proofs are offered? Well, there's the usual pictures of sick inmates, which proves the groundbreaking thesis that people got sick in the camp, once again, I'll add that nobody denies the typhus epidemic, which resulted in many deaths. Then there's the artwork and the pictures of children. But at this point, it's looking pretty bad for somebody looking for objective proofs of the gas chamber. And some of the proofs they present actually work against the concept. For example, they have one of several aerial photographs taken of Auschwitz by the Allies during the war. They don't mention, however, that when blown up, these photos don't show people being gassed or bodies being burned, even though they were taken during the time killings were said to be going on almost non-stop. I won't even go into the special money the Germans printed for Auschwitz inmates, or the fact that even though it is said that Jewish children were killed immediately, both Anne Frank and her sister were sent to Auschwitz and survived, later being transferred to the Bergen-Belsen camp, where they are said to have died from typhus. But all this bickering would be pointless if we could see a genuine gas chamber for ourselves. That, of course, would most effectively end the argument. Which brings us to the building I'm standing in front of, the gas chamber and crematorium. Pictures of this building have been featured in book after book on the Holocaust. After all, what better proof it all happened? Revisionists don't dispute that this is a real building from during the war. We say that it was indeed a crematorium and a mortuary, which also was used as an air raid shelter for the SS men in the hospital and restaurant right across the street from it. The Auschwitz people say it was indeed a mortuary and a crematorium, with the mortuary part, which you're looking at right there, later being used as the gas chamber. Now let's go inside. Once inside, we can see why revisionists have had such a field day with this building. Obvious marks on the walls and floors, where apparently walls had been knocked down. Equally obvious holes in the floor where bathroom facilities had been. We maintain that, unlike the large hollow chamber we now see, this room had once been five rooms, including a bathroom. I should add that there is no Zyklon B blue staining in the walls, as there would have been with repeated Zyklon B use, and as there were and still are in the disinfestation chambers. A flimsy wooden door with a big glass pane in it, and a doorway with no door and no fittings for a door, 
leading to the crematorium ovens. And I should also mention the big manhole, right in the middle of the gas chamber. Yet the building does have what appears to be evidence of criminal usage. Four holes in the ceiling, which lead to the roof, where four little chimneys stand. It is said that through these four holes, Zyklon B crystals were dropped. And indeed, there seems to be no other explanation for them. Do these holes prove homicidal gassings? Revisionists have claimed in the past that these holes were added after the camp's liberation, and that the inside walls were knocked down and the bathroom facilities removed to make the room look like a big gas chamber. As Alicia and I approach the building, we pass the gallows where the commandant of Auschwitz, Rudolf Hurst, was hanged by the Soviets in 1947, executed directly in front of the evidence of his crime. Here, in front of the gas chamber, I ask Alicia about the authenticity of that building. Um, now let's, let's start again talking about this building here. Um, this... Crematorium gas chamber. But this is a reconstruction. It is in original state. Original state. Original state. Now there, Alicia has very clearly represented the gas chamber as being in its original state. Once inside, I asked her specifically about the four holes in the ceiling. Are those the original holes in the ceiling? It is in original part. Original. It is original. Original in through this chimney was dropped cyclone beam. I then asked Alicia if any walls had ever been knocked down in the room exhibited as the gas chamber. So this part was all the gas chamber. Mm -hmm. Were there were there walls here at one time? But here here it was only one room. Only one room. That here I I know here when here I show picture of gas chamber, it was only one room. So here. were there window there ever were walls here? No. Let's pause here to recap the gas chamber according to our tour guide. She states that the room is in its original state, that the ceiling holes are original, and that no walls were knocked down. Unsatisfied with her answers, I continued to badger poor Alicia about the real history of this room, feeling somewhat exasperated at the fact that nothing she could say would shut me up. Alicia went to get a woman who was introduced to me as the supervisor of tour guides for the Auschwitz State Museum. When I saw this woman approach, I figured I was either going to get a straight answer or kicked out of the camp. This is what I can suggest. It will be much better to go to our scientists in the State Museum and to talk with They show you a lot of plans which we still have in the archives. Uh, and where, they, where would that be? I don't think that it's open today, but probably in Monday it will be possible. That's the, yes, the Auschwitz State Museum? Yes. Is that in Oswegium? Is that Here, in block number oh, in 24 block. and 23, I'm not sure about Would this. Would it be possible for me to make an appointment to, speak, to see him on Monday, perhaps? That's true. So it was here that it was first suggested I meet with the head of archives and senior curator, Dr. Franciszek Pieper. Still, Fearing that such a meeting might not come about, and assuming that the supervisor was probably in the loop regarding any reconstructions, 
I decided to get her input regarding the supposedly original holes in the ceiling. Are those the original holes in the ceiling? No. They've been rebuilt? Yes. Okay. Uh, after the war? After the war. So, if you're keeping score, that makes it one vote for original, one vote for not original. I guess that would make Dr. Peeper the tiebreaker. Now, before we proceed any further, a little digression is needed about some genuine Holocaust revisionism. Dr. Franciszek Pieper is one of the Holocaust experts most directly responsible for the lowering of the Auschwitz death count. Along with other scholars like Israeli Holocaust expert Dr. Yehuda Bauer, it was decided around 1989 to admit publicly that fewer people died at Auschwitz than had previously been reported. In his book, Auschwitz, How Many Perished?, Dr. Pieper concludes that the old, Soviet-provided figure of 4 million is wrong, and that the real figure is closer to 1.1 million. Now, that's no small revision, an admission that the Soviets exaggerated the figure by almost four times. We can also see how the fraudulent figure has been an ingrained part of supposedly factual Holocaust history for almost 50 years. As late as 1988, in the official Auschwitz State Museum guidebook, you'll find on page 19 an official affirmation of the four million figure. The Soviet State Extraordinary Commission for the Investigation of Nazi Crimes stated that no less than four million people perished in Auschwitz. The Supreme National Tribunal in Poland stated that about four million persons perished in Auschwitz. According to the International Military Tribunal in Nuremberg, more than four million persons perished in Auschwitz. And these figures are based upon the evidence of hundreds of surviving prisoners and upon the opinion of experts. Well, this shows that not only was fraudulent Soviet evidence admitted as fact at Nuremberg, but also that survivors and experts can be wrong. And, if it matters, many Holocaust revisionists believe that the actual total of dead at Auschwitz is even less than 1.1 million. But still, there is no possibility that even the most extreme Holocaust revisionist in the world could possibly revise the figure any more than the Holocaust experts already have. Which rather neatly brings us to this man, Dr. Franciszek Pieper. I interviewed him in his office at the Auschwitz State Museum. At first, he was a little apprehensive about being videotaped. But I explained to him that since I already had the tour guide on tape, giving out what I had now come to believe was incorrect information, I should have a videotape which could set the record straight. Once he consented, I immediately asked him about changes made in the gas chamber. The first and oldest gas chamber which existed in Auschwitz I, and this can go now here, uh, operated from uh, autumn 1941 to December 1942, approximately one year. Uh, crematorium nearby this uh, gas chamber worked longer to the middle of 1943. In uh, July 1943, the crematorium uh, was stopped and the bodies of the prisoners died in Auschwitz 1 were from the time transferred to 
pilgrimage. In 1944, in connection with the bombardment of Auschwitz by uh, Allies Air Forces, uh, empty crematorium number one and gas chamber in Auschwitz one were adopted as uh, uh, air shelter. The times additional walls were built inside the former gas chamber. Uh, the additional entrance was made from the, from the east side of the gas chamber and uh, the openings in the ceiling, the gas side on B was discharged inside were at uh, the time liquidated. So after the liberation of the camp, the, the former gas chamber presented the view of a shelter. In order to gain the uh, earlier view, earlier sight of this object, the inside walls built in 1944 were removed, removed and uh, the opening and the ceiling were uh, made uh, annual. So uh, now this gas chamber is very similar to this one which existed in 1941-1942. But not all details were uh, made there, so there is no gas tight doors for instance, uh, additional entrance from the east side <coughs> rested as it was made in 1944. Such changes were made here after the war in order to uh, gain the real view of this object. Were the holes in the ceiling put in in the same way that they were? Yes, in the same, <coughs> in the same uh, place, because the traces were in the ceiling. Here, I think we should recap what Dr. Pieper has told us. According to him, the room was a gas chamber, but was later turned into an air raid shelter, at which time dividing walls were built, the holes in the ceiling were removed, and a new door was added on one side of the gas chamber. 